this other girl next to me and my friends, probably like two songs in, she like hitched up her dress and started pissing in a cup. <laughs> and then she filled the cup and then poured it onto the ground and then started again. And she filled five cups worth of piss. And the whole time she was just making eye contact with everyone around, like me and, and my so friends and stuff. Threatening way or in a... No, just in a kind of like, oops, sorry. But this is like two songs in. Five cups. You yeah, confirm. five cups. Of... My name's Matthew Whitehouse. You're listening to The Face Podcast. This week, I'm joined at Spotify HQ by Face friend and writer Shard D'Souza and Face assistant editor Jade Wicks. We're going to discuss reports that Gen Z are drinking less and what that could mean for the live music industry. So this came from something Davey, the Face's music director, brought up in an editorial meeting a few weeks ago. Um, His idea was that Gen Z drink less. I've got the stat in front of me. It said last year, The Guardian reported that 26% of 16 to 24 year olds were fully teetotal. And he'd spoken to a few people in the music industry who were concerned about this because alcohol sales are such a major contributor to how small venues make money. Now, Shad, we asked you to write something about this uh, that was published on theface.com this week. And firstly, I think it's important to point out that on a public health level, people drinking less is maybe not a bad thing, right? Yeah, I mean, the the kind of like overarching vibe to this whole conversation is like, maybe young people drinking less will cause a crisis for like one sector mm. of society, but then overall it's probably good, like less liver disease, less like punch-ons, less kind of like <laughs> horrible depression, like alcoholism yes. kills, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. But, yeah, it's it's uh it's also something that's concerning for a lot of people in in music. Yeah, I mean, I I hadn't really thought about the extent to which uh it would affect live music and, uh, until reading your piece and, and and you spoke to a guy called was it Mark David who was yeah. who was called and he's the CEO of of the grassroots music venue advocacy group music venue trust and and he told you that last year the live music sector spent two hundred twelve million on live music. Uh, but only made back 133 million in ticket sales, which is mind blowing. So that so that gap that is left has to be made up from food and drink sales, and predominantly drink, right? Yeah. Well, right now it is made up from food and drink sales, um, and yeah, and and the vast majority of that is alcohol. And like, if everyone you know became teetotal but started only drinking diet cokes or whatever, yeah. it, it probably also wouldn't make up the shortfall, like alcohol is a product with like extremely high margins, um, which makes it a really good, really good for business basically. But yeah, it's uh, it's not always how the, the industry has operated where alcohol kind of accounts for such a huge part of profit. But you know, it's been over the past like four decades, maybe venues have become more and more reliant on alcohol sales as kind of like production becomes more expensive, mm. staffing becomes more expensive, you know, people are taking cuts you know like promoters and agents and that kind of thing and and yeah basically there's a lot of people to share money around with which means venues to survive need um need alcohol sales right now basically Mm. Mm. well i guess it's kind of affecting like grassroots venues a lot more which is kind of what you touch on in your piece because like basically if like coldplay play a massive gig at the o2 or whatever then it's not really gonna like you're not going to feel the pinch as much if people aren't buying beers, but if it's like a small venue that's kind of mm. supporting like community bands or DIY kind of musicians, then yeah, sure, like young kids drinking 
is going to be a bit of a bigger deal. Yeah, and it's like, you know, the O2 has these kind of built-in, you know, one, the tickets are way more expensive, and then two, they're also selling lots of food, and, you know, they get a cut of merch sales, and they have sponsorships and that kind of thing, whereas, like, you know, a smaller venue, something like, I don't know, like the Moth Club in in Hackney or whatever, you know, doesn't have all those built-in things, you know, they're not taking a merch cut because that would be catastrophic for the artist, and... Yeah, that kind of thing. Mm, it's, it, I, I mean, I was really, really surprised, and I think I think Mark told you an interesting thing as well that in the, I think he said in the sixties and the seventies, venues were less reliant on this. It wasn't such a thing to go out and, and drink as heavily at gigs. In, in fact, a lot of venues didn't even sell alcohol. And it was more in the eighties when I think he pointed towards um, something called tour supports, when labels would give bands money to go on tour. That's kind of lessened over the years, right? And so. People have ended up having to pay more for bands or more for production, and and so they've had to rely more on on alcohol sales. Yeah, it's really interesting. Actually, the example he gave was that when the Beatles were playing the Cavern Club, you know that venue didn't even sell booze, um, yeah. and and basically back in those days, labels would pay for bands to tour. You know, give all the overhead costs and and that kind of thing because it was a great promotional strategy. You know, go from city to city, kind of like hock your wares, basically. And then over time, labels have started paying less and less tour support. They they might, but it, it will be very low. Mm-hmm. And so ticket sales are required to kind of... And, and the, the other thing here is that bands still... The, the vast majority of bands won't even make a profit from touring. You know, that yeah. they'll be lucky to break even, especially somewhere like the UK, where it's very expensive to tour. Um, that's kind of a different conversation. Mm-hmm. But basically, yeah, a lot more of the, the ticket has to go towards the band. And mm-hmm. then... Um, back-end costs that previously in the 60s and 70s would have often be covered by labels. But just just thinking about the, the, the audience again for, for a moment, is this something that you guys have noticed, sort of less people drinking less at gigs or less people drinking at gigs? Have you, have you seen, sort of seen that anecdotally? Well, actually, Shah, this is interesting because me and Shah met um, a couple of months ago at a Bar Italia gig right. at the ICA in Soho. And I thought, well, maybe this is a different conversation as well, but interesting in this context. No, I want to know how you met. Yeah. (laughs) This is is great. (laughs) Well, the the relevant point, I think, is that we were were both... Um, so- somewhere in the in the range of of blind drunk, would you say? <laughs> we were absolutely wasted, basically, <laughs> and it felt like we were the only two people that were on that level at the Bar Italia gig, where no one cheered for the band when they came on, no one was queuing for the bar, as far as I could tell. Yeah, like I don't know. I feel like I was probably more drunk than you at this point. Maybe you had a bit more of a like lay of the land. I but. doubt it. <laughs> but I mean, it was. But I mean, that's that's an interesting. I wonder if that's like an interesting case because that's quite a like cool band. Yeah, yeah, everyone yeah. was in but, London, where crowds are a bit quieter. Yeah, but but I would say in general, I haven't noticed people drinking less. I mean, no. I know a lot of. I know a few people um, younger than me who don't drink at all. But for the yeah. most part, it's. I think they they only come to mind because they are the exceptions. I especially know a lot of kind of young electronic producers who who don't drink at all. Mm. Um, But then in terms of crowds and stuff, like I feel like I've gone to so many shows this summer and it's been pretty hectic in terms of like people drinking and stuff. Yeah, I've definitely not noticed a difference at all. But you guys both went to Lana at Mm. BST Mm. at the weekend, right? What was that kind of vibe? In terms of drinking, I didn't notice 
people going crazy and I didn't notice people not drinking either. Actually, smoking, I thought, was really interesting. A lot of people smoking. I thought it'd be quite vape-heavy. cigarettes. Yeah, because she's oh. quite famous for having a vape on stage, mm. isn't she? Yeah. Um, I, I thought it was quite cigarette-heavy, was my takeaway. I, d- I did as well, which mm, I right? really enjoyed. Love and that. Ev- like Chic. Everyone around me was just blasting cigs the whole, whole show. <laughs> blasting. Yeah. Well, there'd be certain <laughs> songs where it's like, oh, she's playing right, I'm just going to... Yeah. yeah. It fits. Yeah. Um, mm. But the, the crowd behaviour in general, I would say half of it was like like 10 year olds with their moms and then the other half was like maybe people a little bit younger than me like acting like so atrociously like this one girl who had curled up and went to sleep right before Lana started and then her friend kicked her so she would stand up and then this other this other girl next to me and my friends probably like two songs in she like hitched up her dress and started pissing in a cup (laughs) and then she filled the cup and then poured it onto the ground and then started again. And she filled five cups worth of piss. And the whole time she was just making eye contact with everyone around, like me and, and my friends and stuff. Threatening way or in a... No, just in a kind of like, oops, sorry. But this is like two songs in. Five cups. Can you confirm yeah, five that? cups of, of piss. Um, and then like another guy spilled his here on us like oh, it was very God. like Wrong. but no one seemed that drunk i think everyone was just a bit careless well this is the interesting thing isn't it because i think all of the data seems to suggest that young people are drinking less but anecdotally it sounds like we're not maybe seeing that at concerts is the disconnect between who is stopping drinking and who actually goes to concerts or are people now prioritizing going to um, kind of wet club nights and dry club nights instead. I don't know. There seems to be a strange... The data suggests that people are drinking less, but we're maybe not seeing it yet. Yeah, and I also wonder if this is kind of like a US-based phenomenon where the data has kind of travelled over here. Because I definitely feel like, in general, people in the US drink much less. And then now, I don't know, like you go to a concert in the States and like a beer is like 20 bucks. Like that would put me off drinking. You oh know? my God. Like, yeah. And then you have to tip as well. Yeah. It's Mental. it's pretty crazy. But yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to say. I definitely know a lot of people in music, like not necessarily like Gen Z, but kind of of all ages who kind of quit drinking during the pandemic and, and have stayed not drinking. Mm. I think I think the, in, the other interesting aspect to, to this is that like a lot of people have always said that the way the alcohol industry and the music industry are kind of intertwined is like super unhealthy, like for for touring musicians, but also for fans and that kind of thing. You know, like every show is like, you know, heaps of shows are like sponsored by a, a mm. booze brand or, or whatever, or festivals or mm. whatever. Um, so again, it is, it is kind of like a good thing if people start drinking less and if those two kind of industries become less intertwined, but yeah, I think without kind of like infrastructure to support the mm. the venues, I I just wonder, mm. yeah, what what will happen? Yeah, I think it's interesting that you said that it was um, maybe like a US thing that's kind of like migrated over here because me and Matthew we were having a conversation earlier just about how like entrenched in British culture like drinking and particularly like binge drinking is. I don't know what you think about this, but like Tom Holland did that interview the other day where he was kind of saying that he quit alcohol and he's felt the best he's ever felt and that he felt enslaved to it. What did he say? What were his sort of reasons? I think it just kind of got too much Mm -hmm. for him. Like it was very much like he was obsessed with what people thought of him and I think it was a way for him to kind of escape escape which is for a lot of people it's a way to kind of wind down and escape Mm. but um i think there is definitely a culture here that makes it difficult to step back from drinking without maybe like alienating yourself from your peers or being judged for like not being fun or being boring Mm. or whatever Mm. 
Yeah, I so in in the piece I was kind of talking about this with uh Nathan Clark, who's the owner of Brudenell's Social Club in a great Leeds. venue in Leeds. Yeah, I've never been. I'd I'd love to go. Mm. That's fantastic. I saw um Black Lace there who did Agadoo. Nice. You know that song? No. Nope, never mind. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Producer Dan is nodding his head. He knows that song. Um, sorry, ca- carry on. Um, yeah, well, Nathan was basically saying, like, one, he hasn't noticed people drinking less at shows. and mm. But, yeah, he was saying kind of, like, that basically, like, he's noticed young people are kind of, like, coming out of COVID and, like, wanting to binge drink, like, even more because they didn't have social opportunities to test out yeah. the waters mm-hmm. um when they were kind of like 16 17 and things like that um which was which was kind of my assumption as to what would be happening like that that's it's the, the this kind of data has always been quite surprising to me because i just it seems so counterintuitive and i guess mm-hmm. it must be true but but nathan also said like what are the parameters of this data you know like is it kind of like a self-selecting pool like you know, I think I think there's a lot, but yeah, his his take was basically like he hasn't noticed people drinking less, but he has noticed an increased consumption of non-alcoholic drinks as well, and like non-alcoholic draft beer. So he thinks maybe that there's kind of like a higher uptake of those beverages because people do want to stop drinking, but they don't want to kind of get get cut off from their social groups, which is kind of what you were talking about, yeah. Jade. That's kind of interesting because you spoke to your housemate, right, who's a music producer and teetotal as well, and he made like an interesting, well, he's 21, and he made an interesting point about how um, he felt that maybe his generation had access to a wider variety of activities and things to do when maybe previous generations had less to do and would just basically go out and get shit-faced because that felt like the most fun thing to partake in. Yeah, yeah. He he basically said that, mm. like, one, he, he feels like his generation kind of grew up with this kind of, like, hustle attitude, you know? Like, he, he said that he's kind of, since he was really young, he's just wanted to be a music producer and he's just been working on that constantly. Um, but then also that there's a lot of generational idols, like people that his generation look up to who don't drink at all. Um, yeah, and just this like kind of, Lana. Yeah, actually. like, like so Lana, she's like Tyler Creator. Yeah. Wow. Is, it, is that something that they've done throughout their careers? Do you guys know? Lana, since she was a teenager. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Tyler, the creator, has also never drank. Mm. Um, I don't know, like, I, I just, maybe this is me just being myopic, but, like, I kind of don't believe that teenagers just don't go out and get shit-assed anymore, you know? like Yeah, me neither. I just refuse to believe it. Like, the, the data can say what it wants. Like, it's just not true. Yeah. Yeah, that seems to be the thing that we're, we're taking from this. No matter mm. what it's saying, we're not we're not seeing it. No. It seems to be people still go out. Yeah. You know? Are we just looking in the wrong places? It's the nights we go to. <laughs> yeah, it could the be. circles. I mean, we there run are in. there are more sober nights. I'm thinking yeah. of this. Isn't the one that Fold did something right? Yeah, I don't know. They've they've basically host a podcast. I think similar to this, or like a talk kind right, of right. session where there's a nightclub of, in London. That's that's yes, that nightclub in Canning Town. Um, that's yeah, proper cult nightclub, and they um, hosted a talk called Rethinking Nightlife. So it's like people with proper credibility have kind of been giving this a lot of thought and a lot of weight. And I think it is becoming less stigmatised, probably, which Mm. is a little bit contradictory to I know what I said earlier, but it does feel like that conversation is coming on a lot more than five years ago. Because you mean, to to allude to your earlier point, that uh, maybe a few years ago it was thought as of uh, boring yeah. to, to not drink and now it's it's maybe more accepted yeah. Yeah. or it is more accepted definitely well there still be people who who would call you out for being boring but um yeah generally i'd say it's more accepted well look i mean whether people are, are kind of are drinking at gigs or 
aren't drinking at gigs, I think the point still stands that the fact that the model of the live music industry mm. is dependent so much on alcohol sales uh, raises questions, I think. And, and, and Mark was quite interesting, wasn't he, when you spoke to him about some sort of quite radical ideas that he had to, to sort of overhaul the system. Yeah, well, basically, he he said that these trends have been in in place for a while, or that that basically everyone's known that um, venues have been too reliant on alcohol sales for for a long time, um, and he said that the the government is quite behind the curve on this, um, and venues are quite behind the curve, um, and he basically said that part of it will be about having non alcoholic options at bars, but on a fundamental level, like that won't be enough to kind of I guess, like, counterbalance the impact of, of people drinking less. He said that it, it won't be about kind of, like, finding additional bar sales somewhere. It'll be about a kind of more sustainable funding model. His main suggestion, and, and the one that I think the Music Venue Trust really champions, is this idea that basically people like Ed Sheeran, people like Coldplay, you know, they they played, you know, hundreds and hundreds of shows at, at a grassroots level mm-hmm. when they were coming up. And then now it's great that they're playing kind of, like, stadiums the world over but you know what happens when you know Coldplay play the Etihad Stadium in Manchester mm, mm. like none of that money you know they're, they're making millions of dollars none of that money is going back into the kinds of venues that help them get there yeah the night and day cafe in Manchester mm. the drive bar you know these places where they would have played yeah exactly and so the the music venue trust feels really strongly that you know at least some portion of of fees from from those shows should go back to these kinds of venues or or some kind of um, administrative body that can then dish out the money again, mm. um, which I think makes a lot of sense. I mean, the, the kind of problem with this whole thing is that the government can't necessarily kind of bankroll every grassroots venue in mm. in the country and, and, you know, like pure sales, like you can't rely on customers to pay mm. £10 extra for a ticket. You know, I think it has to be coming from elsewhere you know mm-hmm. which which mm-hmm. i think i think it makes a lot of sense that is a kind of strategy mm-hmm. it's that kind of big sort of radical idea that's needed i think just taxing coldplay generally is a good idea <laughs> yeah i've, all, <laughs> I've often said that yeah, yeah yeah you can you could apply it to sting and call it defund the police <laughs> <laughs> yeah could be a nice way to do it um Look, I think one. <laughs> i think one uh interesting thing that we've been talking about at work a lot recently is uh, you know just to go back to that point Jade that you just made about um, the idea that if you go to a gig and don't drink you're boring and it might make the crowd a bit more kind of you know mm. together and less exciting yeah. that's not what's happening uh, at gigs at the moment it seems like when you see wheels of brie given to pink <laughs> on stage and people throwing things oh at Harry Styles God, and bonkers it seems to be in the news quite a lot at the moment these sort yeah. of bonkers things that keep happening at but shows but then it's like are these people just stone cold sober extremely measured just kind of like slightly unhinged they know exactly what they're doing and they just want to get their viral moment or are they shit-faced and well lost the plot i think we have to assume they're sober because what because really these are the data because (laughs) the data yeah the data doesn't lie no well these are people so it happened to pink a number of times and this is someone who would have had to get to the show when gates opened and then gone to the barrier and then waited there for seven hours and not pissed for that <laughs> amount of time. So, How have you concluded that? Because it happened at the pink shows, right? Right, so at, to the stay at the front. So, oh, so they don't search her, you. 
Oh well, they do, but I, but I think you can. Bring, I don't know. It, like maybe you can just bring just in hide the brie or whatever. Or something. But, yeah, or like the the mum's ashes or whatever. Oh god, the, yeah, the, the bag what of was ashes. The ashes was, one was that pink bag as well. Of ashes got thrown at pink. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But basically, it's kind of like you have to assume that these are kind of young people or just just people who who are waiting right at the front for a really long time, stone cold sober, have gotten it into their head like mm. this is what I have to do. It's like a, like a pilgrimage or something. My friend, so my friend Joel Golby wrote about this in the Guardian last week, and he made a really good point, which was basically that you know these shows are so predetermined and so rigid. And, you know, you've already seen the whole show on TikTok, basically. Mm. And so kind of like chucking a wheel of Brie on stage (laughs) is kind of a way to make that kind of like algorithm glitch a little bit. Like you're you're changing the show and you're making it something specific to your experience, which is either very solipsistic or very kind of noble, depending (laughs) on how you look at it. I mean, I think it's crazy, (laughs) but there there is something to it that's very like... Yeah, I don't know, and it, and it's like you see on on TikTok. I don't know what whether you guys see any of these videos, but like I I get a lot of the Taylor Swift eras tour oh, on yeah. my feed, yeah, and yeah, yeah. the videos that people are always sharing are the moments when things go wrong, like mm. when one of her kind of like little trap doors doesn't open. <laughs> yeah, or, she has to sprint. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> stuff like that, you know. And yeah. I think people really people really want to engineer those moments for themselves. Yeah. I think it's definitely like selfish at its root, but also we benefit as like a byproduct of that as mm. as kind of passive consumers of the internet. Yeah, I mean, yeah. as long as you're not, as long <laughs> you're, not you're not throwing a phone at BB yeah, yeah, face yeah. or like, <laughs> like running on stage and slapping Ava Max. Oh yeah, that one Awful. was dark. Yeah, yeah. Um, as, as long as it's it, cheese related. Yes. Yeah, that kind of or dead parent related, related. ashes related, <laughs> um, stuff like that. I mean, it's. I mean, it's interesting, right? You you can see it two ways. I think something like Pink, it's like whatever. You know, you're there to see Pink spin around yeah. over and <laughs> over. Yeah, because she's that over. kind of artist anyway. She, she's so that kind of artist. I I interviewed Ethel Kane a couple of weeks ago, and she was basically like, "I hate when people throw their phones on stage. I hate when people, mm. you know, try and take selfies with me." You know, she she has basically been very kind of like disturbed with by the way people interact with her at shows Mm. i think it has to be very context dependent like you know on a fundamental level like who gives a fuck like pink doesn't care if you're throwing a wheel of brie on stage yeah but i think i have to say it was passed to her it wasn't thrown yeah which is important it is it is important i mean the meme was yeah because her face she looked so confused (laughs) when she was receiving the brie i i loved it i thought it was great but (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I think it's all... I think the way people interact with artists at shows is very mm. weird and, like, you can you can spin it anyway. Like, you know, yeah. I don't know whether it's good or bad. I think I it's think, just weird. Yeah, I think it's been happening more and more. It seems like each one kind of emboldens the next and it's kind of like, well, this has happened so many times now. Like, I'm going to get my kind of moment in the in the spotlight as well. It It is weird how it's it always seems like it's being done so you can make a TikTok. Like, that yeah. disturbs me a lot. <laughs> Mm. Yeah. Yeah, th- we we ran an article in the magazine. Was it last issue? Yeah. Last issue about theatre going audiences. Yeah. And that's the opposite of what we've been talking about. Mm. That's really boozy. And there's a spate of articles. I don't know if it was just silly season for a few weeks <laughs> and we, we joined in, but there's a spate <laughs> of articles about uh, people getting really drunk and really leery in the West End, you know, and at theatre show, not just the West End, in Manchester and different places yeah. around the country. 
and, and kind of touch it, you know, trying to get on stage. And, and some of these shows are deliberately Larry. They're Magic Mike Live. Or they're Dirty Dancing. You know, they kind of blur the lines between. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But it was happening at things like The Bodyguard, you know, and it was happening at the Globe Theatre. People were getting really rowdy. Someone like took a shit during The Bodyguard or something. Well, it's probably <laughs> that last from Lana Del Rey. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 probably. But, you yeah, know, the... it got to the point where police were being called and, and, and it, was a, it, was a, it was a real thing. And anyway, one of the things that we took from it was that it's perhaps people just sort of renegotiating um, how they uh, interact with others and, and the world post-COVID. You know, okay. Mm. <laughs> On some level, yes. But it's like <laughs> all of us, we all spent like two years, whatever, in lockdown. None of us are like getting drunk at Magic Mike live and like starting a punch on. Like it's so easy to be like, this is people renegotiating space. It's like there's a bit of common decency. I mean, it's like I just I... I, on some level, I empathize with that argument, but on another level, I'm like, the average person is not doing, is not doing this. Like, you know. Hey, like you've not been out with Jade on a, <laughs> yeah. you know, on one of her West End tours. Well, actually, Shard did go out with me on one of my uh, Bar Italia. Oh, yes. Yeah. That's so right. he knows. That's right. Um, but I did want to say as well, wasn't there something um, to be said in that article about kind of people getting their money's worth as well because everything is so expensive now. And when True. you go out, it's that, well, you know what? I've spent two hours in an online queue to get this ticket. I've spent, you know, a week's worth of wages. I'm going to get my viral moment. I'm going to mm. throw my kind of bone on the stage or whatever so that I can have this moment beyond just living it and experiencing it. It's going to kind of live on with a digital footprint forever. Mm. Mm. I don't know, just speculating. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I don't. I would love to be at a Western show where someone like shits on the floor. Shit. Yeah, not shits on the floor, but like tried to get on stage or something. I think that would really add to my. I saw I saw Wicked a few weeks ago and I found it punishingly boring. So that kind of behavior really appeals to me. I guess you should be the one. Yeah, ma- maybe I'll go back. I'll go back and make make it Wicked my way. Yeah. <laughs> My name is Matthew Whitehouse. You've been listening to The Face Podcast, where our guests this week were Jade Wicks and Shard D'Souza. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.